0: Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark.
1: And I'm Bethan. And thank you so much for joining us once again, guys. Nice to be back and nice to be speaking to you all again.
0: Yeah. Uh, So before we get cracking, we would like to thank our most recent Patreon supporters. Uh, So the following people have signed up uh, to support us over on Patreon in the last week. Uh, So we have Ian Russell, Heather Bacon, Louise Ingram, Beth McDonnell, And then the following people have signed up annually. So that's Michaela Long, George Raven, Nikki Preston and Wendy Sanders. Uh, Thank you so much to all of you. And if you do sign up annually, you get a 10% discount, um, an hour undying love. But thanks to all of you. It's much appreciated.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody. Really, we say it every time, but it just, it, it does, it means the world to us. So thank you so much.
0: If you would like to join these amazing people, then you can find us at patreon.com slash Podcast.
1: And before we start the episode, we wanted to do a really special birthday shout out. So we wanted to shout out Annie, who is celebrating her 65th birthday next Friday, the 14th of May. So um, when this comes out, I think it will be Friday. Um, So thank you so much to Holly Marie, who got in touch to say that you guys like to listen to the podcast every Friday night together at work. So happy birthday to Annie.
0: Yeah, happy birthday, Annie. I hope you have a good one. Um, So in this week's episode, we will be covering the brutal murder of Alice Ruggles, a 24 year old woman from Leicestershire who was tragically killed by a man who had been stalking her. This was a really high-profile case at the time, and it really shone a light on a number of issues, not just stalking, but also domestic abuse and coercive control. Alice was killed in late 2016, however the circumstances surrounding her murder have never been more relevant. Calls to domestic abuse hotlines have spiked by an astonishing 49% since the beginning of the pandemic. And police estimate that, yeah, police estimate that three women are killed or seriously injured in domestic violence-related incidents every single week. It's just shocking.
1: Crazy, isn't it? And like, it, it just seems so removed from what we believe our society to be right now. That's absolutely mad. It's 2021. I know. How the hell is that still the stats?
0: A near 50% increase in, in calls to domestic abuse hotlines since the start of the pandemic. I understand why we've all read those stories, but it's, um, you know, that's a massive increase. And a lot of these, it's still
1: shocking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot of these organizations are charities, um, that rely on the support from, from the public and they've only got so many resources to be able to help people. So, um, so it's really, uh, it's, it's really tough, isn't it? Alice Ruggles was born on Christmas Eve in 1991 to her maths teacher mother Sue and her college professor father Clive. She was the third of the four Ruggles children and she grew up with her sister and two brothers in the small Leicestershire village of Tur Langton. The Ruggles family were incredibly close-knit and it was said that Alice was by far the most energetic, fun-loving and outgoing of all of them. She always managed to make her presence known, whether it be through her razor-sharp jokes, her mischievous pranks, or later, through her endless banter on the family WhatsApp group. She was described by those closest to her as a natural entertainer, someone who could often be found centre-stage singing and dancing in school concerts, pranking her friends and family, or leading the karaoke at friends' birthday parties. Alice attended Leicester High School for Girls, where her mother Sue worked as a teacher. Her natural beauty, as well as her dynamic and personable character, ensured that she was popular and successful in her senior school years. Alice was also naturally athletic and she loved to participate in most sporting events at school. One year, she narrowly missed becoming the overall winner of the Games on Sports Day, when she fell flat on her face at the start of the final race. Everyone who was there watching felt utterly devastated for her but when Alice got up she suddenly found the whole situation hilarious and she was hysterical with laughter and I think that just sums Alice up to be honest.
1: I love how you've described her she sounds incredible and she just sounds like a lovely lovely person that anybody would like and that's just brilliant I like that she could laugh at herself and the situation because I feel like you would have run off crying and I'd have to come and look after you and be like, oh, Mark, you're fine. Nobody laughed. Well, I would have been laughing, though, to be fair, wouldn't I? I'd have been yeah. laughing. You'd be like, don't laugh at me, Bethan.
0: You'd have been too busy laughing to help, that's for sure.
1: Oh, I would have helped through the laughter.
0: Mm. Um, she was, uh, She was just like an all-rounder, to be honest. As I said, she was popular and she was sporty and quite dramatic and an entertainer and also just a fun, lovely person to be around, so... Um, So yeah, hopefully I've, I've got that across. Alice's athletic prowess saw her go on to develop her biggest passion, fencing, a sport for which she showed unbelievable skill and talent, and one that quickly became an important part of her life. Alice's fencing weapon of choice was the EP, a speciality duelling sword with the end blunted, and she proudly represented her home county of Leicestershire on several occasions. Fencing was so important to Alice that by the time she was 18, she was selecting potential universities based primarily on the strength of their fencing clubs. Consequently, she chose Northumbria, where she soon became the university's fencing club captain. The proudest of her sporting achievements was at the women's EP at the Leeds Open in 2012, where she systematically crushed all of her opponents and emerged as the champion. By the time she graduated university, Alice found that she had come to love and feel at home in Newcastle, so she decided to stay and make the city her permanent base. After a while, she secured a job at media giant Sky's Newcastle hub. The position was perfect for Alice. Her friendly, fun-loving and personable nature made her immediately popular and well-loved amongst her colleagues, and she was quickly promoted to become the site coordinator and PA to the head of sales. Life was good for Alice. She had a loving family, she was building a wonderful life for herself in Newcastle, and she was surrounded by friends who adored her. By all accounts, she truly was living her best life.
1: And then when you say stuff like that, we know it's all going to go completely wrong.
0: It's a really, mm. really sad one, this. I mean, they always are, but it's, um, it is very sad. So before we uh, continue with Alice's story, let's hear from today's show sponsor. At the beginning of 2016, Alice went on holiday to Indonesia with a friend and the friend posted some pictures on Facebook. A friend of Alice's friend, a 26-year-old soldier by the name of Traman Dillon, saw the pictures and took an immediate interest in Alice. He messaged the friend and said, I really like the look of that girl you're on holiday with. Can you introduce us? And that was how Alice Ruggles first met the man who would bring her life to a brutal and bloody end less than 12 months later. Dylan, who was known to his friends as Harry, was a lance corporal in the British Army, stationed just outside of Edinburgh, a 100 miles away from Alice's home in Gateshead. After a few successful dates, Alice began a relationship with him and he at the time was on a brief R&R from a non-combat role in Afghanistan. So I think that's where you're kind of stationed in your home, on your home turf, kind of resting and recuperating, getting ready for the next deployment. The smitten couple spent a happy and romantic week together in Newcastle, followed by another in Edinburgh before Dylan returned to Afghanistan for his final two-month tour of duty. Dylan was an only child. He was born in India and moved regularly throughout his childhood, owing to his father's job in the Indian Army. As a young adult, he pursued a college degree in India, but was eventually given the opportunity to do the final two years at Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh. Dylan jumped at the chance and moved to the UK for good in 2010. One day, a recruitment team acting on behalf of the British Army visited the campus in search of new recruits. Dylan enthusiastically signed up. He passed a selection process with flying colours and then went on to complete his basic training in May 2012. He received further military training at Sandhurst Academy and worked for the Royal Guard, protecting royal family members on their various visits to Scotland. By all accounts, he was a tough yet brilliant soldier, and he had very realistic ambitions to join the reconnaissance arm of the SAS. Alice was immediately smitten with Dylan, who initially charmed her with his attentive and caring nature. However, this brief honeymoon period was remarkably short-lived, and the dynamics of their relationship soon changed. After Dylan returned for good from Afghanistan, Alice's friends and colleagues noticed immediately that something was off. She was becoming withdrawn and distracted. She was having difficulty concentrating. She was constantly pale-faced and exhausted, and she also seemed to be losing weight.
1: That must be so difficult as a friend to see your, your friend kind of changing so much in such a dramatic way as well.
0: Yeah, and, and I think really knowing that there's not a lot you can do about it. Um, yeah. as we, We'll kind of go on to to talk about when her family sort of confronted her over her behaviour and how she changed and how she just kind of bats it off. But yeah, it must have been torturous for them to, to be witnessing this and her friends could see that. Um And it was certainly after they'd not been going out for very long, but... Um, after Dylan came back from that second tour of Afghanistan, which was two months long, in a non-combat role, but he would have, I'm sure, have witnessed awful things out there, he had really changed then and, and really ramped up um, his abusive behaviour towards Alice.
1: I really feel as well, I feel bad for the friend that introduced them as well, because... Yeah. ..you'd... not that you should, but you would start to feel guilty yourself and blame yourself a little... I feel like most people would at least have a little bit of that. There's absolutely no way that you ever should, but I do kind of feel bad for that friend that was on holiday and he's like, oh, introduce us.
0: Mm. I think this, for me, there's so many what ifs in this because I I kind of feel had she not um, gone on that holiday, for example, had the friend, like you say, they're not responsible, but had they not posted those pictures on Facebook or... Um, had Alice not lived where she lived and they weren't as close, then um, the relationship might not have got off to a, a normal kind of start. Yeah. So, um,
1: there's so many things, aren't there? It's I crazy. think so,
0: yeah. Um, so, Alice's performance at work also began to decline. So, it wasn't just her friends and her family that were noticing this real change in her, it was also her colleagues. And even more alarming was the fact that Alice also almost completely stopped socialising, which was extremely out of character for her. It seemed as though her entire personality was morphing into something unrecognisable, and her friends and family and colleagues really started to worry now. As the weeks and months passed, Alice became increasingly moody and irritable, eventually having a major falling out with her housemates, and moving to a new ground floor flat in Gateshead, which she shared with her work colleague Maxine. During this time, it was noted by Maxine and several other people close to Alice that Dylan had started becoming more and more controlling and critical of Alice's appearance, of how she dressed, of the way she lived her life in general and also of her friends and family members. Dylan did this so consistently that Alice steadily became more and more isolated as the relationship progressed. Not content just to keep her isolated, Dylan also took control of her Facebook account by changing the password. And the cumulative effect of Dylan's controlling and abusive behaviour on Alice's mental health was devastatingly apparent. In a few months, Alice went from being the happy, outgoing, vibrant person that she had been since childhood to a miserable and lonely shell of her former self. Her family noticed how withdrawn and unhappy she was during a family holiday to a cottage in Cornwall of July 2016, but when they tried to talk to her, she just made excuses and managed to placate them. In August 2016, just a few months into the relationship, Alice was contacted by another woman completely out of the blue via Facebook. This woman claimed that Dylan had befriended her on a dating website and had been actively pursuing a relationship with her. And this was, like, during the whole time that he'd been together with Alice.
1: Oh, my God, what an absolute bastard. Yeah. I always find it incredible when the other woman's, like, able to get in touch and just be like, just to warn you. Yeah. I always think that's amazing because she's obviously trying to do some, like, due diligence and just check up on him a little bit and she's found... I guess, like, photos of him in a relationship or profile or something. But um, that's amazing. And fair play to Alice.
0: Yeah. And it kind of worked because Alice was devastated at his betrayal and she did end the relationship. And she just said, I can't trust you anymore, so it's over. Um, that's really strong it really is it's surprising given that it was already an, an abusive relationship I thought that was really brave of her to be able to do that at that point in time but as we'll go on to see Dylan's grip of Alice was all consuming it would later also emerge that whilst Dylan had been demanding Alice's absolute loyalty, he himself had been consistently cheating on her. So not just with this random woman who contacted Alice, um, but with dozens of other women who had been contacting on dating sites and he was regularly engaging in casual sex behind Alice's back.
1: Oh, I hate him. What
0: a twat. I know. Alice wasn't at all sad to leave Dylan behind. In fact, I think when she was able to get away from his controlling grip, she was able to feel a sense of relief and she actually looked forward to reconnecting with her friends and regaining her former life and former sense of self. And I think it's almost like when you're in a relationship like that, you can't see the wood for the trees, but the minute you come out of it and have that breathing space, you can see it for what it was. And I think the more time that passed, the more she realised that that relationship was totally wrong and that she really didn't want to get back together with him.
1: Yeah, because you have to have that bit of space or detachment before you can really see it for what it is. So yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I'm so impressed that she was able to do that.
0: Yeah. However, it wasn't going to be as simple as that. Dylan was not prepared to accept Alice's decision to end the relationship. In the ensuing weeks, he launched a relentless campaign of harassment towards her and bombarded her with phone calls, voice messages, texts and emails. The tone of Dylan's unwanted communications varied greatly. Some were pleading, others aggressive and threatening. Dylan also contacted Alice's friends and family. In one message, he stated he was not used to being denied what belonged to him. And I think that sums him up beautifully, I know. Yeah. Ugh. So he very much saw her as a possession.
1: Yeah, and he genuinely believes that he's in it's his right to own her and to control her like Yeah. Oh.
0: And we we don't know much about Dylan's childhood, so we know that he um was an army kid and they moved around a lot, so perhaps it was a little bit unsettled. Um but but yeah, I wonder what else was in his background that that made him crave this level of control over a woman. So um, around this time, uh, after this relationship had come to an end and Dylan was struggling to accept it, he started to kind of infiltrate her friends and her family. And at one point he messaged her mum, Sue, and ranted about what a horrible and heartless person Alice had become. Can you imagine that? As a mum, getting a message from your daughter's ex-boyfriend saying that your daughter is horrible and heartless when you know the truth about him.
1: And also, like, just get over it, mate. She's broken up with you because you've been cheating on her. So why are you messaging her mum? Mm. Her mum doesn't care. Like, why? Just move on. You've clearly got enough women on the go. Go find one of them. Like, get over it.
0: I think it's not it's not that he wanted to get back together with Alice because he missed her and no, he loved no. her. It is purely that she's won in his eyes and yeah, she's exactly. got away from him and he wants to be able to re exert that control and he can't do that. So that oh, would no, have driven him insane, yeah.
1: But he's just a dickhead.
0: <laughs> he is total dickhead.
1: I just oh
0: And Alice, true to her nature, tried her best to be civil, but Dylan was relentless. He continued to send hundreds of texts, emails and voicemails, now from several different phones that he'd acquired. His campaign lasted for months, and with no respite, Alice felt powerless to stop it. She also noticed that the harassment was a continuous loop of what seemed to be a set pattern of behaviour. Dylan would begin by professing his undying love for her, promising to change and treat her better if she would only forgive him. And then when that was ignored, he would resort to emotional blackmail, crying down the phone and even threatening to kill himself. And then when this approach failed, he would then become much darker and more sinister. And he began using veiled threats to release compromising photographs that he'd secretly taken of Alice, which is is one of those things. I mean, you can't really believe that... Um, that has only recently become illegal to do that. Um, I it's, just find that it's mad.
1: disgraceful that it's only just recent, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because yeah, it's a form of blackmail and it can be so humiliating to mm-hmm. the victim of that that I find that mad that we've only recently passed that law through Parliament. For Dylan, getting Alice back had now become his obsession. However, Alice simply could not bear the thought of going back to him and she was completely unwilling to give him another chance. It was not in Alice's nature to be mean or confrontational, so at first she tried her best to be pleasant and civil to him. However, the diplomatic approach only added fuel to his resolve to win her back at any cost. After some time, Alice felt she had no other choice but to simply ignore his messages and to even block him wherever possible. In response, Dylan contacted some more family members and friends and tried to get them to influence her. He'd also once again hacked into her social media accounts and it became clear that he was reading all of her messages so he knew who she was speaking to and where she was going to be at any given moment, which is really That's disturbing. so terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, oh, when, when we go really on to scary. see what happened, yeah. At the beginning of September, Dylan discovered that Alice had moved on and that she'd begun a new relationship with an army officer called Mike Enraged and driven insane with jealousy, Dylan set out to destroy the relationship by contacting Mike directly. In his messages, he tried to deceive Mike into thinking that Alice was cheating on him. On the 30th of September, Dylan showed up at Alice's flat and repeatedly rang her doorbell, and then hid when she looked through the spy hole to see who was there. Alice was terrified, but she had no doubt who it was on the other side of the door. Dylan eventually left only to return a few hours later when he climbed the fence into the back garden and knocked on Alice's ground floor window as she lay in bed.
1: Oh my god that is absolutely terrifying.
0: And it's a, it's a ground floor flat so Yeah that you, makes it worse. You would feel really vulnerable having your bedroom um Downstairs, essentially on the ground yeah. floor. So, so yeah, uh, you know, she was so vulnerable, and and yeah, she she knew it was him. And when she opened the curtains, um, she saw flowers and chocolates on the windowsill, and she could just about oh. make out Dylan backing off slowly. And he was kind of like holding up the palms of his hands in a a kind of almost like a don't worry gesture. I'm not here to cause any harm. Um, and and yeah, he just left.
1: I mean. I'd get that if this was, you've just found out you cheated on her and you've just broken up and he turns up with something as a, I'm really, really sorry. And then I'm going to go. Yeah. That, that would still creep me out and I'd still think it was weird, but I'd be like, do you know what? They've just tried to say sorry or, Mm. or make amends. But after this campaign of like phone calls and ringing the doorbell and hiding or this is, that is that would make me pack my stuff and go and live somewhere else. Like, mm. that's horrible.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm I'm just sort of grateful that Alice had her work colleague and friend Maxine living with her, so um, she wasn't always alone in that flat. Quite often, I guess, Maxine would have been there, which would have provided her with some reassurance. But, um, but yeah, even so, it's awful. And I think you're right. I think you would kind of forgive that if that's all he'd done. Um, you'd think that's a bit weird, but... You know, fine, he didn't mean any harm. But I think the catalogue of harassment is really starting to escalate at this point. It was just um, virtual, if you like, and now he's, he's showing up in person. As Dylan drove back to Edinburgh that night, he left a chilling voicemail message for Alice, telling her that he didn't want to kill her and that he wouldn't kill her, which I think would provide absolutely zero reassurance.
1: Do you remember that customer Um, when they got really close and stood too close to me? And like without even thinking, I'd stepped sideways. And I'm, I think you remember, I think you'll know who the customer was because flipped the bird at you numerous occasions and would come in and have a go at you. <laughs> but he like got really close and I just automatically stepped to the side a little bit. And he went, don't worry, I won't attack you. And I'm kind of like, that's the last thing that I need to hear right now, because that's not helpful in any way, shape or form. But this is the thing. It doesn't it doesn't make you feel safe when someone tells you they're not going to do something that actually hadn't come into your mind until no. that point, And now you're terrified. And
0: I think it's just not a normal thing to say. It's not normal behavior so you're going to think oh my god like this person's clearly unhinged or they've clearly been thinking about killing me um they've just not said that and they're now saying they're not going to kill me but for them to say that they must have at some point thought that they might kill her i hope that makes sense. exactly
1: yeah you don't say things unless it's been in your mind before
0: no So as Alice became increasingly terrified of Dylan's obsessive and intimidating behaviour she at last heeded the advice of her friends and family and contacted the police who were initially very sympathetic and they actually reassured her that he could be stopped. As is evident from the recording of this particular phone call that Alice made to the police, which has since been made public, she was calm and polite, almost apologetic, as she briefly explained the situation to the officer and asked for advice. The officer explained that she could go to a solicitor and take out an injunction or that the police could issue what is known as a police information notice, or PIN, which meant that Dylan would likely be arrested if he ever contacted or approached her again. After a brief discussion with the operator, Alice decided to take out a PIN against Dylan, which the police duly issued just a few days later. And this was a huge relief for Alice, she now believed herself to be fully protected. She felt that the nightmare was finally over and she was keen to move on with her life and to forget all about Dylan. What Alice didn't know, however, was that a pin notice carries no legal weight. It is not the same as a restraining order. In fact, it is essentially useless.
1: Why even offer it then? What is the point?
0: Yeah, I think I feel like there was probably a little bit of confusion around how how it was explained to Alice or what exactly it meant. Um, and, I, and
1: maybe because she's being so apologetic and calm yeah. about it, they don't realize the severity potentially.
0: Yeah. I mean, she, she wasn't confrontational. She, when I said she was sort of dramatic earlier on, I meant that purely in an entertaining sense, not in terms of her personality. So I think she would have possibly downplayed the extent of the harassment, which I think a lot of people would do. Um, she was clearly scared, but equally she didn't want to, um, make a bigger deal out of this than, than she, than she had to. So um, a pin notice is made specifically to address the issue of harassment but it doesn't require any finding of fact. So that is to say it does not have to take into account any explanation or outright denial that the accused might have. It doesn't infer guilt and it only reflects one side of the story. Unlike an official restraining order, perpetrators who breach a PIN notice are technically not necessarily vulnerable to prosecution or arrest. So I suppose the only way I can sort of explain it, uh, in other words, is that it's a bit like an official warning. So the police would have warned Dylan they wouldn't have accused him of stalking because that was illegal even back then. Um, but they would have said, look, it's, it's come to our attention that there's a bit of a domestic issue here. The relationship's broken down. We've had reports that you are harassing Alice and we're telling you politely that you need to stop that and we're going to kind of put a record of this conversation on file and consider yourself warned and not to go near her again. Um, I think had Alice said that he's stalking me, it might have been treated differently. Um, but because she, she detailed a, a bit of a, a catalogue of harassment, it was dealt with a bit differently.
1: So I I guess then if you were to take something to court and take something further, you've got the evidence behind you that you've been to the police in numerous like numerous times and Here's the catalogue of pins that we had. Yeah. That would help in that respect, but it doesn't necessarily stop anything from happening at that point. It's just, I guess, if someone's like a gone a bit too far sort of dickhead, Mm. this might shock them.
0: I honestly I think that's what it is. I think if you have if a relationship has broken down not at your behest and you're struggling to deal with the end of that relationship and you want to try and win that person back, so you could be bombarding them with uh text messages, emails, um you know, sending stuff like flowers to their work and stuff that's where and you, and the, the, the victim or the individual doesn't want that to happen that's it's just literally a bit of a polite warning from the police to just say look we get it we get that you're upset by the end of the, the relationship but you do need to kind of stop this behaviour because if you don't then we might have to pursue this more formally so I think it is yeah. almost like a friendly warning and it's on file and I think yeah I think you're absolutely right for 95% of the population that would be um, alarming for them to to have a visit from the police saying something like that that you're not in trouble but can you just stop doing what you do and it would be enough to stop so um, whilst Alice thought she had this full protection from Dylan she didn't and Dylan knew the pin notice and what it meant and what he could do and what he couldn't do Um, so he kind of knew that it didn't actually stop him at this point in time from continuing his Campaign of harassment towards Alice. So Dylan's superiors at work became aware of the PIN notice and they confronted him about it. And they also warned him to either stay away from Alice for good or to face the legal consequences. And they also expressed concerns about his mental health at this point and they ordered him to visit his GP, who also strongly advised Dylan to move on and to never contact Alice again. In addition to this, several of Dylan's friends and fellow soldiers also urged him to do the right thing and to leave Alice alone, to live her life on her own terms.
1: That's really amazing, isn't it? That they've kind of all seen potential there, I guess, and then they've all kind of gone, just stop, just get yourself sorted out. Yeah. Because that's quite a brave thing to kind of come out and say to somebody as well.
0: It, it is, yeah. And Alice's family were um, critical of the army. um, which I'll come on to towards the end, but I, I think at this point in time, I think that's quite good of them that they they've confronted him and said we're aware of this. You've not technically broken the law right now, but we are aware of what's going on, and you are going to have to stop this. So not only had he had a warning from the police at this point, he'd now had a warning from uh, from his employer. So I, I think it was and that's quite it good.
1: embarrassing as well. Of is it if is. you're in something yeah. like the army. To have other people knowing your business in a very private manner, like that's quite a big deal. So,
0: and you're not really going to be a bit
1: humiliating.
0: Yeah, and you're not really supposed to have these kind of personal problems in the army because it's such a serious job that you need to be one hundred percent focused on the job and not being um, pulled in different directions. So Dylan unfortunately wasn't about to let Alice go, despite the warning from the police and his bosses, and he immediately sent her a parcel containing an angry letter and some other items. In the letter, he ranted that Alice had called the police on him, and that he was now facing severe repercussions. He also lied that his army bosses had taken away his laptop, his iPad and his phone, and he went on to say... I'm in a lot of shit now, but I hope you feel happy. I'm sending you everything I have that reminds me of you as you belong to another man. Wishing you two a happy life. I will never come in your life again. But Alice wasn't convinced. She knew it would only be a matter of time before Dylan would be back to his stalker-like, obsessive behaviour. She contacted the police again to report that he was still contacting her, but the response this time was far less sympathetic and no action was taken. In a further telephone call, Alice was even allegedly warned to stop wasting police time, although this call wasn't recorded so we can't verify that, but how appalling is that?
1: I just... I just it's so frustrating. Like, it, I'm trying to be non-judgmental, but but I can't not get really cross about that. I think it's better that you take things too seriously and something's a bit and you realise afterwards it's a bit of an exaggeration, then you don't take something seriously at all.
0: Yeah. I feel, since 2016, I, I do feel that things have moved on a little bit in terms of, I suppose, because we've had the Me Too movement, um, there's been a lot of other stuff going on, and um, particularly surrounding women and, and their vulnerability and safety issues. And I think I think it's a bit better now that... A victim like this would be believed and supported, and I, I'd like to think this wouldn't really happen now. That she would be taken very seriously.
1: It's not that long ago, though. Four, five not, years. It's not, but if you think it's about really what's happened in, ago.
0: if you think about what's happened in the last five years um, for women's rights, I hate kind yeah. of using that term, but do, do you know what I mean? I think it's moved forward a bit, and I think um, victims are now more likely to be believed when they bring forward an allegation such as this than they would have been perhaps back then Mm -hmm. so alice um kind of reverted to how she was when she was in a relationship with dylan now she became distraught nervous deeply depressed and she now believed that nothing could or would be done to stop dylan stalking and that her suffering would go on and on Now convinced that she was not being protected at all, she tried to make sure she was driven home to the front door each day by a colleague and she would then immediately double lock every entry to her flat. On the 10th of October, unbeknown to Alice, Dylan made the long drive down to her house late at night before climbing into the back garden and he then took several photographs of her rear window before returning home again. So Alice never knew that happened. Two nights later, he drove down again from Edinburgh and parked a little way down the road from Alice's flat, waiting for her to return home. As he waited, he messaged another woman from a dating site, trying to arrange a casual hookup for later that evening, back up in Scotland. Shortly after Dylan saw that Alice had returned home, he climbed in again over the back wall, and this time he forced his way in through a window. He quietly picked up a sharp kitchen knife and then cornered a terrified Alice in the bathroom.
1: That is horrendous. So, do you think he was taking the photos of the windows at the back so that he could work out the best way to get in?
0: I, I don't think so because I think he was already familiar with, um, with the property and where Alice's. I bedroom mean, like was. the locks
1: and stuff, though. I, like, I, do you I don't. Do he take I, pictures? No, I,
0: I, I honestly don't. I think it was just part of his obsessive, compulsive behaviour towards oh. her. Yeah. This
1: is so horrible.
0: So normally I, I would go into a lot of detail here uh, after we'd cornered Alice in the flat, but I just, I just didn't really want to on this occasion. And I'm not saying I won't do it again, but um, I didn't really want to go into lots of detail about the attack. So um, I'll just kind of skip forward half an hour. And um, at this point, Alice's flatmate, Maxine, returned home and made a gruesome discovery. So Alice was laid dead on the bathroom floor in a pool of blood with her throat slashed from ear to ear.
1: That is so horrendous for her flatmate to come home um, and find her like that. and Mm. Yeah, just, I think you've done the right thing there, definitely. Yeah, not going into detail because that's enough for us to know what has happened and to imagine for ourselves.
0: Yeah and I'll go into a tiny bit more detail in a moment but not not much and it reminded me of last week's episode where I can't even really remember the details but I remember the victim was um oh it was Lynette wasn't it was it Lynette White Um, the sex worker from Cardiff so um she, she was she had a throat Slashed didn't she, yeah, and it was kind of from ear to ear, and um she was kind of half decapitated, and it was very similar for for Alice sadly, so paramedics rushed to the scene, but she was unfortunately pronounced dead straight away. She was just twenty-four years old. The police officers on the scene were appalled by the sheer brutality of the attack, and it was noted that Alice's throat had been slashed at least six times, and the blade had cut so deep that the knife had reached her spine which was what I think really reminded me of last week's episode, because it was so similar, yeah. wasn't it? Um, but that's the most so detail similar. I'm going to go into. Maxine's harrowing and frantic call to the emergency services has since been made public, and she immediately named Dylan as the murderer, commenting that we knew this was coming and referring to him as an absolute psychopath. Thanks to swift action by Northumbria police, Dylan was quickly arrested back at his barracks just a few hours later. When police found him, he was attempting to climb out of the barracks over the perimeter wall in order to escape. He initially denied all knowledge of Alice's death but overwhelming evidence quickly placed him at the scene and he was duly charged with her murder. After Alice's death, it emerged that Dylan was known to police for an extensive history of violence and abusive behaviour towards women. His ex-girlfriend had an active restraining order out against him after repeatedly complaining to police about his obsessively relentless stalking, harassment and threatening behaviour. At his trial, Dylan's attitude sickened Alice's family and the jury. Not only was he utterly unemotional but he also exhibited breathtaking arrogance. He denied murder and tried to argue that Alice had attacked him, painting himself as the victim of Alice's so-called violent temper and jealous nature.
1: Oh my God, as if anybody's going to believe that. What an absolute douchebag.
0: When asked by the prosecution why he had fled the murder scene, he tried to lie his way out by saying seeing Alice covered in blood had given him a flashback to a helicopter crash in which five of his colleagues had died, including one who had his throat cut by his visor. However, army officials testified against Dylan's story, proving beyond reasonable doubt that he had in fact not even seen the casualties during that incident and that he had only visited the site of the accident to guard it two days later, long after the corpses had already been removed.
1: So even then he's trying to use someone else's pain and suffering for his own benefit as well?
0: None of Dylan's lies held up against the overwhelming evidence that was being heavily stacked up against him. He showed zero emotion throughout the trial at Newcastle Crown Court, and he didn't react at all when the jury, after less than two hours of deliberation, dismissed his cowardly story that she had accidentally stabbed herself while lunging at him and duly convicted him of murder. Judge Paul Sloan QC said, Precisely what happened once you were in the flat only you now know. But you have never had the decency to say. At six foot one inches and twelve and a half stone, Dylan, who was training for the Special Forces Regiment, was nearly a foot taller and three stone heavier than Alice, and he was infinitely stronger than his petrified and helpless victim. The judge continued. You were pinning her down, probably by kneeling on her back, and in an act of utter barbarism, you slashed her throat with a knife, slashed her at least six times, causing catastrophic injuries. Dylan was sentenced to life in prison and told that he must serve a minimum of 22 years behind bars. The verdict and sentence were welcomed by Alice's nearest and dearest outside court her mother read a statement on behalf of the family she said justice has been done today but none of our family nor any of alice's closest friends will ever be the same again we will live the rest of our lives knowing that alice should have been here with us wondering what she would have become imagining all of the people she would have continued to affect with her infectious sense of humor and her sheer love of life alice was a kind incredibly sociable fun-loving person She had the ability to light up the room whenever she walked in. We miss her so much. The Ruggles family also poured heavy criticism on the police for repeatedly failing to take Alice's pleas for help seriously, despite knowing full well that Dylan was known for this kind of thing. It was already on record. And as I said earlier, the British Army were also criticised for failing to take more decisive action when it became clear how dangerous an individual Dylan really was. Um, which I get, but part of me is like, is that just with benefit of hindsight? Because they did speak to him, they warned him, and that would have—that's not just like a regular boss giving you a bit of a warning. This is the army, and it's very serious, and there's a real chain of command. So, if anything, this would have carried more weight, I think, for someone like Dylan than a warning from the police. So, um, so I don't know. Maybe the army could have done more, but I, I don't really know what.
1: Yeah. I just, I think they did what they should have done, really. they, The police came to them with the information that they had. What else is your employer really going to do? If the police had come to them with something more serious. I mean, the fact that they made such a good amount of fuss about it, saying to him, you need to sort this out before there's legal ramifications. And they knew it was a pin. Mm. And the police would have explained to them what that meant. Then... Already, I do think they've done a bit more. And what are they going to do? They can't just lock him in his room and not let him out in case he goes and kills somebody. No. I think that the police should have taken things a lot more seriously. But I do understand that potentially the wires were crossed at the beginning because Alice was such a demure apologetic person potentially when she rang and maybe it didn't seem as serious as it actually was and also nobody knows for definite who's gonna snap and go absolutely crazy like this guy um but no I don't think that the army
0: I suppose yeah I mean thinking about it all I can think is um so obviously that they ordered him to see his GP so that wasn't Please go and see your GP. It was kind of like, you have no choice. You must see your GP. But maybe they could have intervened more, um, from a medical perspective, uh, to, to kind of look into him more from a psychological basis. How is he mentally? Is he fit to continue with the job? Do we need to support him a bit more? Um, m- maybe they could have done a bit more that way, but that, that's the only area that I could see where they perhaps could have done more they didn't have to but they could have done and some of that is with the benefit of hindsight
1: and that's it exactly hindsight is 2020 it's so difficult now to then to be able to judge what they were dealing with at that point
0: so further tributes continued to pour in from alice's friends relatives and former work colleagues One tribute from a former colleague who worked with Alice at Sky perfectly reflected the ray of sunshine that she was to everyone around her, and it also showed how her death had had such an impact. It read, You know I'm not a man of many words unless it was badgering you to get my laptop ordered, so I just wanted to list my best memories of you. Genuinely the most horrific Mancunian accent I have ever heard. Ever. Absolutely awful and hilarious in equal measure. You taught me the difference between foil, EP and sabre, but I still won't watch it at the Olympics. You are more sarcastic than me, your sense of humour was second to none, so witty and sharp as a tack. Last but definitely not least, you had the most infectious personality and brightened the office on a daily basis. I can genuinely say any day I spoke to you was a happier one for it. You never fail to make me laugh, and I'm a miserable sod. You could even do it via an email. And then he'd an email to this which read, Laptop wait time is directly proportional to how nice you are to me. Therefore, yours is due for delivery in 2074. Thanks, Alice.
1: I love that. I, that sounds like the sort of thing that I would have emailed you yeah. when we worked together. That's absolutely brilliant. Fair play, Alice. And it
0: just shows her. It shows that sense of humour. And I think we've all, we've all worked with people or had friends or have friends that just brighten your day up. And, and genuinely, these people do light up the room when they walk into it and that they make your life so much better. So um, Alice really was one of those individuals. In the aftermath of the tragedy, Alice's family founded the Alice Ruggles Trust, a registered charity which aims to raise awareness of stalking and to ensure that relevant legislation is effective and adhered to, and to bring about lasting improvements to the management of perpetrators and the protection of victims. And the Alice Ruggles Trust is also campaigning for the government to formulate and introduce a stalker's register. A compilation of known stalkers as well as domestic violence and coercive control perpetrators. And many campaigners and anti-domestic violence charities believe that that register will absolutely save lives. Um, so do check out the, um, the Alice Ruggles Trust if you want any information in relation to anything we've discussed or, or any support or if you want to get involved and help in any way. I think we'll, we'll perhaps look into it a little bit more, won't we? And, and see if yeah, we can support think, them.
1: Um we'll put some information out from their registered charity website and we'll put some stuff up on all the social medias, but then yeah, we'll have a look and see if there's anything that we can do as well. Wow. What a story. I mean, that's incredible. And I mean, just to finish with, with the information about how hilarious and witty and funny she was and what a, a nice person she was. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah. And she, she was 24 years old. Um, she had this infectious personality and was really at the beginning of adulthood. And had she not met Dylan, she would still be alive right now and living her best life. She'd be in her late 20s. She might have married. Uh, she might have been expecting a child or progressing more in her career and and continuing to have an impact on on all of those people that she interacted with. And the world was robbed of that through Dylan's behaviour um so it 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 really is a tragedy this one um but it's nice that we've been able to remember Alice for the person she was not for how she died and and those final moments of her life Thank you for listening. I know that's probably not been an easy one. Uh, They rarely are, but that in particular was um, certainly tough for me. Uh, Don't forget to check out the show sponsor, which is betterhelp.com slash red uh, for 10% off your first month. And also, if you want to find us on Patreon and see what's going on over there, your support is greatly appreciated. It makes a huge difference to us when people invest in us and the show i think it really just pushes us to continue with it so if you would like to contribute to the finances of us running the show um then please head over to patreon.com slash podcast that there's loads of fun stuff going on in reward for your support of us until next week we will see you then bye
1: bye